Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you today. I am so excited that again, uh, Sunday afternoon, we have another baptism this week. We keep uh, baptizing people as people step forward and say, I want to follow Jesus. I want my life to be dedicated to Jesus. Uh, And that is good for my heart because it reminds me that even when the the world is uh, in chaos, even when the world is a mess, God is still at work. The world may be locked down, but the Spirit is on the loose. And so we've got a baptism again this Sunday. And I'm looking forward to that. In addition, the church is continuing to do the ministries that we do. We're continuing to find ways to reach out safely and wisely and courageously in this season. And so there are all kinds of neat things that we're actually planning for the for the fall and for the coming season. We'll continue to offer classes online. We'll continue to offer worship both online and in the parking lot. Uh, and we're adding some uh, fun stuff as we go along in our uh, parking lot worship. So this Sunday, there are snow cones in the parking lot. Next Sunday, there's gonna be bacon in the parking lot. Uh, we're, uh, we're gonna continue uh, doing all those things that make it fun to be together. Stay tuned this fall. We're, we're planning on, we're working on a couple different things. We wanna create spaces for students who need help in school and a, a place to study. Uh, we're working on ways to do that that are safe and follow all the appropriate guidelines. We're also working on doing a kind of a drive-in concert this fall in the parking lot. And we're going to see if we can pull that off. So uh, as much as this is a, a shaky season for so many people, uh, we're still uh, committed to being faithful and creative in this season and doing ministry uh, because nothing stops the Word of God. So that's what we are about in this season, and, uh, and I'm thankful for that, and I, I'm thankful for for you taking part in ministries uh, with us, for those of you who helped uh, seal the parking lot last week and paint around the church uh, and helped with some stuff that the church needed, thank you so much for doing that. Uh, I'm so grateful that we can continue to do ministry together uh, in this season. Let's take a minute and pray together. Father, I thank you that you are on the loose. I thank you that you're still reaching hearts, that you love us all the same and all the more, and in this season where so much feels like it's out of our hands, I thank you that we can trust that it's in your hands. I thank you that we can depend on you and know that you're good and know that you're working for our best. So today, still our hearts. Help us to turn in the direction of you and your word for us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Let me give you a list of some of the things that a person might encounter in a normal life. Layoffs, troubled pregnancy, high blood pressure, wedding preparations, the rent, coronavirus, pink slips, a learning disability, a lawsuit, traffic, exams, taxes, divorce, disappointment, death, dieting, Debt, 
acting out, addiction, guilt, mental illness, the mortgage, embarrassment, cancer, failure, foreclosure, bullying, parents, parenting, dishes, heartbreak, time management, moving, school loans, abuse, parking tickets, and so much more. If God is in control of this world, why is this world such a mess? There are so many things in the ordinary life that cause so much stress. What happens when more gets put on top of that? Well, God designed us to deal with a stressful world. Your brain is actually wired to help you deal with stress. Uh, let me tell you for, for a second what happens to your brain when you get stressed. Uh, your brain is wired so that when a threat comes up, you are not perfectly peaceful and calm all the time. And that's okay, because your ancestors were designed not for sitting at desks and working on computers, but walking through the woods and being able to run away if they saw a lion. There are times where you need to be stressed, because if you see a lion, you don't want to hang around being calm. So this is what your brain does. When you get stressed, your brain sends signals down to the adrenal medulla, which releases adrenaline, releases adrenaline into your blood system. And that's a good thing. Adrenaline gets your heart rate up, it pumps blood, sugars into your blood, uh, and that makes you more able to run away from the lion. Uh, I, I still wonder if it doesn't make you a little more delicious to the lion with all those sugars running around your blood, but I don't know the answer to that. I just know that your brain is desired, uh, designed to shoot chemicals into your system when you need to run away. It also sends signals to the pituitary gland, which releases cortisol, uh, sort of a stress hormone into your body that then gets your heart rate up. It gets you, uh, really makes you anxious so that you can actually get away from danger. That's great. You may hate stress, but it is great that your body gets stressed. It's great that your body has systems by which it reacts to dangers in the environment. It makes sense that we were made that way. The problem is when you're when your brain marinades in stress chemicals, as my friend David puts it, when your brain marinades in stress chemicals, it has all kinds of negative effects on your health overall. When your brain sits around in these chemicals for a prolonged period of time, it can actually weaken your immune system, making you more vulnerable to getting sick. It can actually do damage to your brain and eliminate brain cells so that over time it damages your memory. It, uh, it uh, will uh, raise your blood pressure and release fats into your blood system that over time can cause heart disease and heart attacks. You're meant to be able to be stressed in a moment so that you can get away, but you're not meant to stay stressed. You're not designed to live in stress. God has designed our bodies to get away from lions, but he's designed our souls to get away from worry. And that's a good message for the year 2020. Let me read you what Jesus teaches about worry. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid, for you are worth more 
than many sparrows. You're not designed to marinate in stress chemicals. You're designed to get away from danger to be safe. But then you're meant to live in a healthy kind of peace. We've been in a series of studies on the weekends on the book of Revelation, the last chapter of the Bible, the Bible that talks about the end of the world and the end of the Roman Empire. It was written in a time where God's people were stressed, tremendously so. They were this, this tiny little population that, that had come out of the, the nation of Israel, which has now been destroyed. In 70 AD, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and its temple. Jewish Christians are scattered throughout the Mediterranean world, and they're trying to, to start this new movement following a guy named Jesus of Nazareth, who died on the cross and rose from the dead. The Jewish people see them as an aberration who's messing up their faith. And the Roman Empire sees them as a new cult that's a threat to the, the Roman gods. And so they're persecuted. In this season, the, the Caesar who is on the throne in Rome demands that he be called Lord and God. And he will not have some little sect respecting some guy who's died and allegedly risen again, calling, calling that guy Lord and God. So at the end of the first century, John, the pastor of a, a, a church in a city called Ephesus, is taken by the Romans and left on an island to die. It's the way of weakening the church. The Romans are removing the church's leaders. And so John on the island of Patmos calls out to God in prayer for his little church. And God gives him a vision and, and shows him how God is going to deal with the Roman Empire how God's will is going to be unveiled in this world. If you read along in the book of Revelation, or if you've been listening to our series at reallife.la, you know last week we talked about some of the images that are in the book of Revelation, some of the, the symbolism that Revelation contains. Revelation is filled with all kinds of symbolic images because if a, a Christian in the first century world was caught carrying this conspiratorial literature, this literature written against Rome, they could have been killed for it. And so Jesus through John reveals this, this message of hope and promise with all kinds of symbols and images that we today can unpack. The first century readers would have recognized this for what it said. Today, it's, it's a little bit mysterious to us until we look at the history, the context in which it was written. So far, we've looked at the stories of how uh, the, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. And in Revelation chapter 6, it shows Jesus opening a scroll that tells the story of the details of the destruction of Jerusalem, exactly as they happened in 70 AD. If you follow the, the book of Revelation chapter 6 and the history of the destruction of Jerusalem, they, they parallel each other. People are captured and uh, they turn against each other and they ration food and eventually the city is destroyed and all is silent. That's how Revelation 6 reads. And then in Revelation chapter 8, Jesus through John shows that God deals with the Roman Empire in this day, not just in heaven, but here in this world. Revelation chapter 8 shows what happened nine years later after the destruction of Jerusalem, nine years later when Mount Vesuvius erupted and destroyed the city of Pompeii. The day after an empire-wide worship of the Roman god of volcanoes, a volcano erupts and destroys Roman society. It burns the ship in the harbor and poisons the rivers and people die of sickness. It was a way of saying to the Christians, don't worry, God can deal with the powers of this world. They may worship the God of volcanoes, 
but our God controls the volcanoes. So Revelation shows in symbolic imagery the fact that, that God is dealing with the kingdoms of this world that would come against his people. So let me show you a couple more images in the book of Revelation today, which again, uh, which again, first century readers would have understood this immediately. First century readers would have read this and go, oh, I, I understand this. I know what they're talking about. Rome has been so bad to us, but God has been so good to us. Rome has done horrible things, but God is dealing with Rome. There's a, a couple images in Revelation which uh, you, you might hear about in the modern world because they pop up in our horror movies and they, they show up at Halloween and everybody gets freaked out about them. There's one that I want to unpack for you just because it is probably one of the most well-known symbols in the book of Revelation. Revelation says, and I think it's in Revelation 13, yeah, Revelation 13 verse 8, this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. And lots of people have heard that. It shows up in the horror movies. People are running around paranoid that one day the government's going to make us have chips implanted in our hands that have the number 666 on them and all kinds of craziness like that. That's not what it means at all. That's not what it means at all. But running away from the number 666, uh, number 666 might be a great strategy if you're in a horror movie, but it's not a good strategy in real life. In fact, I know somebody who worked in a, a financial uh, brokerage, and a woman came in and deposited a pretty significant nest egg in an account there. And, of course, the computers just generate account numbers, right? Nobody picks the number out. A computer just assigns it the next number in a sequence. And she got the, the number on her new uh, savings account, and three of the digits in it were 666. And she immediately went in and closed the account and took her money somewhere else because she took it as a sign that something evil was happening there. That's not good math, and it's not good financial management, and it's not good biblical interpretation. That's not what's going on here. John tells us, look, here's the number. Uh, let the person who's wise have insight. This is, this is John's cue. Hey, pay attention here. This is a symbol. I'm telling you something here. Think about what, what this means. It's the number of a man. So he's telling us this number of this, this big scary beast is not, a, it's not an animal. It's not some kind of demon. It's a man. He tells us that. It's a person. Calculate this and figure it out. And this is what John is doing here. Uh, the, the Caesar that began the persecution of the Christians in 65 AD was Nero. Uh, Caesar is just a title like king. You call him King Caesar, right? Or, or King Nero, King Nero. Caesar Nero, is Caesar is just a word for king. And if you uh, take the Hebrew alphabet and write out uh, Nero Caesar, the, the Hebrew letters uh, had, a, had a numbering system so that each letter corresponded to a number. Now, you're a little bit familiar with this. If you have an old-fashioned clock in your house that has Roman numerals on it, or if you learned how to write essays in school and number the outline with Roman numerals, with I's and V's and X's. Those are actually letters from the Roman alphabet that also stood for numbers. They had numerical values. Well, the same could be done with Hebrew. And if you write out Nero Caesar in Hebrew and then translate each of the letters to its equivalent number and then add all those numbers up, the sum total of that, of the, the name Nero Caesar, the sum total of all those numbers is 666. And that's what John is referring to. That's what Jesus through John is saying. Pay attention. The beast, this threatening beast, is Caesar, and in particular Nero. 
who ruled for better than a decade and was horrible to Christians in his day. Be aware of the fact that there are terrible beasts in this world that will turn against the people of God. But nothing takes this world out of God's hands. Everything in this world is still in God's hands. God is, has not forgotten you. God is not ignoring you. God is listening to your prayers. God sees your struggles. God feels your pain. And God is powerful enough to deliver you from the, the suffering of this world. Pay attention, there will be beasts in this world. We are not free from that. But nothing is outside the hands of God. Again, uh, there's a, oh, and the, the, the story ends back in, in Revelation 19. The story continues that one day this, this beast that's terrorizing God's people gets what it deserves. In Revelation 19, it says that a warrior rises up whose name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Wonder who that is, right? That's how they referred to Jesus. King of kings and Lord of lords. And he does battle with the beast and throws it in a lake of fire, which is a reference to hell and the afterlife, and the beast is no more. So in the end, Jesus wins. That's a great promise uh, in this vision uh, that God will deal with the powers of this world that persecute God's people. Okay, one more image, one more image, and then we're gonna look at what this means for the world 2020. In Revelation chapter nine, there's another image of uh, something coming against God's people. And when you first read this, you think this is as freaky as can be. What was John taking? What was growing out on this island that John was smoking? This is so weird. But when you know the history of Rome, this becomes all the more clear and powerful and meaningful. Revelation uh, chapter 9 at verse 1. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet. And I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the keys to a shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. Okay, so, so this army of some kind of like bug, some kind of locust is coming out of the earth, but it's, a, it's like a scorpion. And you know what scorpions do. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So this is now an army of something that's released on the earth, but not against God's people. It's set loose to deal with the things that are, are from other peoples, from people who are not uh, followers of God. They were not allowed to kill them, but only torture them for five months. <clears throat> and the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. Now, you and I read that and think that's just freakish nonsense. What good am I supposed to do with the book of Revelation? until you read the story of the history of Rome. 
Rome was conquering everywhere. Rome got as far as uh, from, from what we call England to what we call India today. Rome was conquering everywhere. They'd conquer a nation, take the sons of that nation into their army, make their nation bigger, and go and conquer the next nation beyond them. Rome was everywhere, and it was powerful. There was one time that Rome didn't win. There was one battle that the Romans just couldn't get through, one nation they couldn't overthrow, one nation that held them off, and that was the Parthians. The Parthians were able to hold Rome off, to actually conquer Rome, to defeat Rome, to stop Rome in its conquering. And you've got to imagine, if you're an oppressed people living under the Roman Empire, and this great powerful empire that taxes you and takes your sons into their army, this, this empire that you hate, if this empire loses a battle, you would talk about that forever. You'd be so glad that the Roman Empire had lost a battle. You'd gloat about it all the time. Yeah, but remember when they lost to the Parthians? That was sweet. They lost to the Parthians. The Parthians, who wore their hair long, which was strange to the, the Romans, right? They wore their hair long and were well-trained in battle on horseback and marched around with their cavalry uh, fighting on horseback had developed a kind of shot with a bow and arrow that is called today the Parthian shot. The Parthian shot actually worked kind of like a scorpion stinger because it came off the back of a horse. Now, just because I want this to be really, really clear, what John is referring to here, what his audience would have immediately recognized, and because I thought it'd be kind of fun to do during a sermon, I want to show you how the Parthian shot worked. It worked a little bit like this. So this is what happened in the first century world. The Romans were conquering country after country after country until they came up against the Parthians. The Parthians were excellent archers and horseback warriors who had developed something called the Parthian shot. And the Romans just couldn't get around it. And you're about to see why, the, why John would compare it to a scorpion with a stinger on its back. What would happen is the Parthians would engage in battle with their enemies, such as the Romans. And when they felt like they had sufficiently weakened their enemy, they would then announce retreat. They would then call for retreat, uh, which makes no sense if you're winning. But they would turn around and, and run, and then their enemy, like the Romans, would be over, overzealous about the fact they thought they had them on the run, and they would chase after them. So it looks like the Parthians are retreating, and the Romans, who now feel like they're the victors, are chasing after them, trying to eliminate them. Well, that's exactly what the Parthians wanted. And through practice after practice after practice, they had perfected a kind of archery known as the Parthian shot, uh, for which they, they became known, but obviously the Romans didn't see it coming. And what the Parthians would do is they would, they would retreat. They'd be running away with Romans chasing after them. And then they would, with uh, a practice kind of excellence, stand up on their horses. This is back from my surfing days. St uh, stand up on their horses, on a uh, horse in full gallop, uh, knock their arrows and turn around at the, uh, to see the charging Romans behind them, and they'd fire arrows backwards over their shoulders and pick off the Romans that were chasing them. And so they'd keep retreating. It looked like they were running away. And so you can imagine the Romans back there, you know, we've got them now, Gilead, let's charge after them. Uh, Roger, you take them out. And then, you know, whoosh, whoosh, right? And so where'd Roger go? Roger's suddenly gone. And the Parthians, who were very confident about what they were doing, they'd practice this over and over again, would continue to retreat and pick off Romans as they went. So they're headed closer and closer to safety while picking off more and more Romans who came after them. 
Uh, and so this was called the Parthian shot, and this was how Romans, the Romans could not overcome the Parthians and never quite took them down. So you can see how in the book of Revelation, when John says this is like a scorpion, it, it was a locust that looked like something on a horseback with a human face, had long hair as the Parthians did, and it had a stinger in its back end, right? The back end of the horse is exactly where they're getting stung from because the Parthians knew exactly what they were doing. So that is the Parthian shot, a shot fired off the back of a horse as the Parthians pretended to retreat, uh, which held the Romans back for so long. So here John is writing to this persecuted church saying, yeah, but remember, God can release armies on the earth that'll stop the Romans. Nothing is out of God's hands, and God has greater power than the Romans do. Now, for you and I, here's the message of the book of Revelation for the year 2020. It's not just a fascinating historical study or a curious study of one of the weird books of the Bible. It's actually a message of hope and promise. What Revelation says is when the world feels like it's out of control, remember where you are. You are in the hands of God and nothing will take you out of that. And because of that, live faithfully. Jesus is still on the throne at the center of the universe. He absolutely controls everything in this world. When empires come against you, when your homeland is destroyed, when everything is fragile and vulnerable, God is still in control of this world. Lean into your faith. Live confidently that he's in charge. You need to have enough stress to get away from danger, but you shouldn't, you shouldn't bask in that stress. You shouldn't marinate in that stress. Live with peace knowing that God is in control even when the world is out of control. Uh, an exercise we taught our kids when they were young, and one that I'd recommend for parents or grandparents with kids, this is a good exercise to do around the dinner table. We used to ask our kids to talk about their day and tell us what happened that day, and we said, let's share four things. Let's share, no, it was, uh, three things. Let's share uh, pow, wow, and holy cow. Let's share three things around the dinner table. Pow, wow, and holy cow. Pow was something bad that happened that day? Did anything surprise you and catch you off guard and go, pow? Anything bad that happened to you today? Anything that made you sad or angry or afraid? And then, wow, was shared something good that happened to you that day? Was anything nice or fun or exciting or pleasant? Anything that you're happy about that day? And then, holy cow, was an invitation to share the places that you saw God at work in your life that day. Is there anywhere that God blessed you, that God spoke to you, that God showed you his love, or that God enabled you to help someone else. Share where you saw God at work in the world today. That was such a healthy exercise for our kids. A couple weeks ago, my daughter, who's now a teenager, went out for a bike ride, and uh, she's kind of out enjoying herself for the day. And when she came home, we asked, how was it? What'd you do? She said, I had a good time with God. And I, I know that investment in her younger years of saying, look for God's work in your life, is now manifesting itself as she lives into a faith of her own. In the year 2020, when everything's a mess, it's not hard to, to, to share the, the pals of the world, to share what's bad, to share what's stressful, to share what's frustrating. And a lot of us have done that. And it's okay, it's healthy to share those kinds of things. But you can't stay there. You can't live in a voice of anger and stridency and stress. It's not good for you, and it's not good for the people you live with. We then need to share the wows of our lives, the things that are still going good, the ways that we still see life turning in better directions. And most importantly, 
we still need to share the, the holy cows of this world, the places where we see God living and active and speaking to us and empowering us to love other people and healing people. Turn your direction from turn your attention from the direction of stress to the direction of God's work in your life. And then live faithfully. Live for things that matter. Live for Jesus. The message of Revelation to you and I today is this. Everything is still in the hands of God. So as much as you've been wired with stress to get away from lions, once you're away, take a deep breath and pray and live in faith. God bless you. I'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.